is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand off to Minner, hit in the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation, this is the KLIN Husker Hour. Strike right, three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. Sunset got it! Underdog is in one! Exclamation point! Pop the brakes! Now your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholz and KLIN reporter Matt McMaster. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to another edition of the KLIN Husker Hour. We are so close to real football, we can taste it. Fall camp is more or less officially over. They're probably rolling into Minnesota game prep here uh, for the next week and a half or so before the opener on August 31st. Uh, and and Matt, we've got a we've got a big big show lined up. We've got our season preview, probably the biggest show that I've been a part of since I became co-host of this show. We have two incredibly special guests. One of you know probably arguably both on the Mount Rushmore of of Husker Hour guests. No, they're they're both Evan Bland for sure. Eminently more <laughs> worthy of Husker talk than either of us. Yes, we've got one of the guys that will appear here on Friday Husker Tailgate here on KLIN. He's Husker 24-7. He is every Husker radio station in the state and the host of the hottest podcast out there right now. Understatement. I mean, every every big guest out there. Hey, Coach, it's Blank Podcast. Mike Schaefer. How we doing? Yeah. I, I appreciate the preamble. Um, you know, way too kind. Uh, as you were talking about the Mount Rushmore, I started thinking about where I want my media presidential library to be oh my God. in Columbus, Nebraska. But I go. will, uh, I'll, I'll focus on that on my own time. I'll, I'll get locked in here. Yeah, we, we've also got the reigning sports writer of the year in the state of Nebraska from the Omaha World Herald and a frequent guest here on the show, Evan Bland. Evan's here as well. What's up, guys? Uh, I don't know if I belong in that Mount Rushmore either. <laughs> Well, no. Well, my I, library would be in Lincoln. If yours was in Columbus, I'd want it by the Godfathers. So ah, that's a good point. Have lunch over there. <laughs> that's a good point. You, you know, for sure, Evan Bland would be on the Mount Rushmore of uh, Husker Hour guests, and Mike Schaefer would pay good money to see it. You know, yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We we have uh, a lot to get to. I want to dig right in. We're going to talk some big picture. We're going to run down offense, defense, uh, and and we're going to get into a little bit of what we're expecting personnel wise. What players may or may not be contributing here early on and throughout the 2023 season. But first off, uh, let's talk coaching. This is the first game of Matt Rule's career coming up here uh, in just a handful of days. They're taking on Minnesota uh, in, in a road conference game. No, no better way to start things off. And he's going to have a chance to put the new offense out there, put Tony White's defense out there. Uh, Evan, I'll start with you. What are you expecting from the approach for this first game based on what we've seen and heard through fall camp and, and just what we've seen from Rule throughout his coaching career? Well, I think it'll be you know, somewhat similar to what we saw in the spring game, to be honest with you. I think it'll be fairly straightforward offensively, uh, just based on even what we've seen a little bit in some of the open media sessions. Uh, what we see from the defense I think will be really interesting uh, considering the, the overhaul schematically that they're working on there. But, you know, I one thing that I've been thinking about these last couple weeks has been just the headspace of this team, right? Like, I think about leading up to the Illinois Week Zero game a couple years ago to the Northwestern game in Ireland last year. Like, you talk to those players and the coaches, they felt the pressure to start strong, to get the wind in their sails, to do, uh, you know, to, to get ahead and finally get something uh, positive rolling. 
I feel like the conversation in this fall camp leading into that Minnesota game has been much more process oriented. So Matt, that's that's Matt Rule reminding, hey, yeah, they're playing Minnesota on August 31st, but there are 11 more games guaranteed after that. So I feel like the bigger picture approach that they're taking could be healthier for this opener and maybe allow them to play a little bit freer than what you would maybe normally expect from a new team with a new coach. Shafe? Yeah, I, I think Evan kind of hit it on the head there. I mean, they had the weight of the world on their shoulders going into the Northwestern game. Everybody knew that if they didn't win that game, you basically were one step closer to the coaching change that ultimately happened. And uh, they didn't go win that game. And similar with the Illinois, which which one of these stats is more impressive or depressing to you guys? That Nebraska hasn't won an opener since 2019 in any capacity in, in football or that it's new coaches have in the last two attempts with Mike Riley and Scott Frost are also 0-1 as well. Which in stat, spectacular fashion. Which stat makes you more excited about a new era of Nebraska <laughs> football? I, You know, for me, bag it for you. I mean, We're just going to blow right past the answer well, to that question. Well, they're both, well, they're terrible. both <laughs> terrible. They're both awful. I really don't want to answer that. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see how you think they're both I, terrible. You have a, a Hail Mary loss in Mike Riley's yeah. first game. You have the the Colorado game, which I don't even really know how you would sum it up. You get to say the Hail Mary thing for BYU. Colorado is just sort of a death by paper cuts day that would, if you go back and look at it, you can see some signs there that Nebraska would never overcome through the the Bolini era. Absolutely. In the last three years, they've started with conference games, and oh, by the way, they start with a conference game again in this year. What is? Do we know Matt Rule's record in his own openers with Temple and Baylor? I have I have to imagine with the amount of losses they had, he's probably 0-1 in both. Uh no, I think I think that Baylor played an FCS team and won that game pretty handily and then proceeded to lose like the next 7. If I if I have that We can look that up later. If I have that right. But um yeah, so I it, it's going to be a a challenge certainly to to get started with a Minnesota team, but I I think this, and I'm curious what, what Evan and, and you guys think too, this is a good time for Nebraska to catch Minnesota. I mean, they are starting Absolutely. as fresh as they have been under P.J. Fleck in some time. No Mo Ibrahim, no uh, Morgan, no, no Tanner Morgan, you know, and the offensive line is, is getting replaced. And they are a slow starting program every single year, even when they had pieces that knew exactly what P.J. Fleck wanted. And so I, I think because of that, we're we're looking at a, a Nebraska season that starts with a game where yes, it's going to be a difficult opponent, but I don't think it's one that's difficult. Well, I, you're absolutely right. You lose Mo Ibrahim, you lose Tanner Morgan. Now their quarterback Calic Calic I mean, he had some Calicamanis. Calicamanis. I always get his name wrong. He had he had some experience last year, and he had some ups and downs, and he showed some high upside talent. But I mean, most of the guys that are going to be productive for Minnesota are coming from non Power Five teams that have transferred in there. Sean Tyler, he's going to be their, their running back. They also have their second wide receiver behind. Autumn Bell is another non-Power 5 guy that's transferred in. So you're absolutely right. I mean, if they were going to catch Minnesota at any time and, and, and beat them, it would be this time. I think the thing that fears everybody or strikes fear in everyone when looking at Minnesota is that it's an established program. I mean, P.J. Fluck has found success with this program. The last two full seasons, they've won nine or ten games. I mean, they're really successful when you're coming in. You, we don't know what Matt Rule is going to look like. We don't. We have an idea of what the defense is going to look like. We have an idea of what the offense is going to look like. But we don't know for sure. And honestly, I'm a little concerned that they just came out and said after their live scrimmage last Saturday, yeah, we're having a lot of like 
Q problems. Like we're having a lot of like adjustment problems with the Big Ten referees and the play clock and like all of that stuff. Like that's not good. Like you cannot go into Minnesota and you cannot go on the road in week one and have false starts and have delay of games and shoot yourself in the foot consistently, which they've done for the last couple of years before Matt Rule. So that was a little concerning. But like for me in general, to like just answer your question, what am I expecting at Minnesota or what am I expecting this season? Evan, you touched on it. Last year, it was all about wins. We have to win. We have to win. We have to win for this to be a successful year. This game doesn't necessarily have to have eight wins for this to be considered a successful season. They don't have to have nine wins for it to be considered a successful season. They just need to set a foundation and set some hope and set some just boundaries of like, all right, this is what we're going to try and do. This is how we're going to develop players. This is how we're going to play football. This is what the program's going to look like. It could That could be accomplished with four wins. It could be accomplished with seven wins. But you just want to see a product that looks like it could be sustainable. A couple things on Minnesota, too, that I think are interesting Unlike, say, Colorado in the next week, which is a total mystery, we know what to expect from Minnesota. We know that they want to possess the ball, that they want to be really physical. And I think that's a style of play that unless you totally beat yourself as Nebraska or whomever, you're going to be in those games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see this being a blowout one way or the other. I think it's going to extend into the second half, probably well into the second half. And I think some of the things that Minnesota does well will answer some early questions that we have about Nebraska, particularly along that defensive line. How, how do those guys hold up uh, against a team that's going to want to smash it in there over and over, play in a phone booth, all those sorts of uh, cliches? And I think that, uh, to your guys' point, this is when you want to play a team like that. We've seen Nebraska run into Minnesota when everybody's worn down by the Big Ten grind in November, and then that's the team that sort of whittles its way to victory. You get that team fresh at the end of August, you're not even into September yet. I think that plays into Nebraska's favor and makes it more competitive, too. Minnesota last year, four games of 40-plus minutes of having the ball on offense. I mean, talk about just domination and possession and just you know running the ball down your throat. Did they win those four as well? I have no clue. Okay. I just know they did it four times. So, uh, to answer the earlier question about Matt Rule's record, it is 0-2 in opener mm. openers. Uh, Temple 2013 at Notre Dame. Notre Dame won 28-6. Baylor hosting Liberty. Lost 48-45. Very Nebraska-Georgia-Southern-esque there. Um, In terms of the job that these guys had laid out in front of them, uh, Shafe, we'll start with you on this one. If you were advising Matt Rule when he got here, based on what you had seen through the Frost era and even through the Riley era before that, what would you advise him to fix first? Like in the day-to-day, not not in-game stuff necessarily, but what would you have advised him to, to take away uh, or or to start up or or fix first when he got here? Uh, I think a lot of it is, and I don't mean to just sort of ride the coattails of what he's already done, but a lot of it is establish who you want to be. I mean, I, I think yeah. Scott Frost was caught in a lot of ways of like what they were at UCF and then also wanting to marry it to, to sound good to, to the Nebraska fans that were here that expected Tom Osborne football. And you kind of get caught in that middle. I mean, Mike Riley never had a chance because no one wanted to see what his version of football was anyways. But I, I do think one of the things that Bo Pelini was able to do in his first season was he was able to kind of establish, like, this is the sort of style of football that he, he ultimately wants. You know, and it, it wasn't it wasn't without missteps. I mean, they got absolutely slaughtered by Missouri at home. In, in 2008, they got rocked by Oklahoma on the road. But that month of November was really big, and I also want to point that out, too, because before 
you can get to that month of November. You got to play September and October, and the season can look 25 different ways across four different weeks. You know, like you can you can have a feeling coming out of Minnesota, Colorado, where it's like, oh man, this team could be ready to take on other teams and in the Big Ten, and this could be a really interesting year. And then you get through the two non-conference games at home, and they maybe stub their toe or they don't play as well in those and get slaughtered by Michigan, and you're thinking something else. You know, and so a lot can happen over the course of a full season, and the way it starts doesn't have to be how it finishes. But I, I do think for the, the setting and the tone of your, your standard, your culture, what you want to look like, what you want it to feel like, if if Matt Rule can accomplish that in year one, in addition to winning enough games that people can feel okay about the result of it, that's as big as anything. I mean, I they're not playing for championships in 2023. I don't know who needs to hear that. <laughs> Nebraska's not going to Indy in 2023. I feel very comfortable sitting in this very comfortable chair saying such. <laughs> but what they are doing is they're trying to set up their future. And if you can establish for 2024 and beyond – that's what you're really trying to get out of this year. Yeah, we got to get to a break, but Evan, your thoughts on, on that same question. What would you have had Rule do first? Yeah, I think the identity piece is, is really important, and I think about it in the sense of, like, name a team in the Big Ten West. If you say Minnesota, you know what that style looks yeah. like. If you say Iowa, you know what that style looks like. Wisconsin, Nebraska for the last six, seven years, you don't know. It's been sort of an amalgamation, a little like Frankensteining this and that and trying to be the jack-of-all-trades and master of none. I think that's a big part of it. And the other thing I would say, too, is Nebraska has needed a head coach who is a CEO head coach. And I know that's sort of a term that's that's bandied about, but you think about how Scott Frost, he wanted to call the offense, man, right? Yeah. Mike Riley wanted to call the offense. Bo Pelini wanted to call the defense. They, those were uh, you know, coaches who were so locked in on what they were doing that I think in games and in general, they oftentimes lost sight of the bigger picture of the program um, where some different areas maybe needed some attention. So I think that's something Matt Rule excels at, um, and we'll see how that plays out moving forward too. That's Evan Bland. We've got Mike Schaefer here as well with me and Matt. It's uh, our season preview edition of the KLI and Husker Hour. Uh, when we come back, we're going to dig into the roster, who we expect to make a big impact on the field. Uh, we're talking players right after this here on the KLI and Husker Hour. So real. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Talk some coaches in that first segment. Uh, I want to dig a little bit into the roster now uh, with Evan Bland and Mike Schaefer here in our season preview episode. And one of the things that sticks out to me is on offense – they're going to, again, for the third third year in a row, lean on a transfer wide receiver to probably be their number one uh, target in terms of the pass game. And I want to start there with the pass catchers. We can work tight ends into this, too. Uh, Evan, how concerned are you and, and would you be if you were Garrett McGuire and Matt Rule and, and, and trying to figure out, all right, how many guys do we have who can run out, run a route and, and catch a ball here in this opener uh, that's bearing down on us right now? Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal when you have one of your most high upside guys leave camp because his heart's not into it, right? I mean, that's that's not what you're looking for. I think Xavier Betts would have been a big part of what they wanted to do. Uh, I think Billy Kemp, is a, he's a different skill set than what we've seen from Samori Toure and Trey Palmer, certainly. I think he's more, he's got a little J.D. Spielman to him. Uh, he can find that open pocket in a, in a defense. Uh, he can get you the first down when he wants it. He's not necessarily the 
the burner uh, that those other two were. So I think he's, in some ways, that's that's going to be someone who's going to provide a safety net for Jeff Sims, uh, you know, third and, and, and middle. Like, that's a guy who's going to find a lot of uh, opportunity. Um, but, yeah, I mean, beyond that, we're going to see, man. We're going to see what Ty Han can do. We're going to see what Alex Bullock can do. Um, and, and I know that their status as walk-ons sort of, it gives a lot of fans PTSD thinking back to some other walk-ons that have been on the field in, in recent years out of a lot of necessity. Um, but, but I mean, it, it's absolutely true that it's been a position that Nebraska hasn't been able to get right for a number of years. I appreciated what Matt Rule said last week about the six scholarship freshmen and, and essentially saying we don't need these guys to be ready to go week one. We don't even need them to be ready to go midseason. And I thought that was a great thing to say from the perspective of it takes a lot of pressure off of them first and foremost, and it, it puts the onus on those older guys to say, look, you know, how many how many years in a row at, at Nebraska have, have we talked about freshmen? And it's like, oh, if only this freshman yeah. could could hit, then maybe that's the thing Nebraska needs. And I loved what Matt Rule said, we can't subcontract out winning to young players. So I think there's a lot of potential with those younger guys, but they're absolutely going to be relying on some of the, the more veteran names, even if they're not as well known. Uh, and I think that's where Nebraska has to start if it wants to do something offensively. Shafe, who do you think emerges out of that group of not only the wide receivers, but the tight ends, too, still not knowing the status of Eric Gilbert and, and having Thomas Fedoni maybe actually ready to contribute? Yeah, I mean, I I have a, a few thoughts on all of this, which is a shock, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> I want to start with this. I really – part of it is just a way that Sean Becton would talk about him. I really bought in on Nate Borkercher. Like, I, I know that the Eric Gilbert waiver thing is going to be big regardless of which way it goes. But there is a world in which, even if you have him and Thomas Fedoni and everything's ready to go, Nate Borkercher could still end up as Nebraska's best tight end out of that group. I really yeah. do believe that's a thing that, that we could see this year. Um, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, you could play him and Thomas Fedoni on the field at the same time if you need to alleviate not having as many wide receivers on the field for you. Uh, I just think that they are versatile enough, or Marcus Satterfield has come across versatile enough and as Evan well knows and Matt well knows, just standing over there during every one of Marcus Satterfield's uh, media appearances, they don't have positions on offense. No. Only the offensive linemen seemingly have positions on <laughs> offense. Everyone else, I'm assuming Jeff Sims also has a position <laughs> on offense. Everyone else could line up anywhere else at any given time. Uh, and I, I do think there is some probably truth to that in, in how they want to use it. And I, I do want to add this to to the whole equation. We spend a lot of time because it's all internal about talking about Nebraska and the lack of depth at all of these different spots. When you think about Illinois last year and they won a bunch of games, who was their number three wide receiver? Yeah. Who was the who's Wisconsin's number two or number three wide receiver in the years in which they're winning the Big Ten West? Right. Like we make it a much, much bigger deal internally around here than externally in the teams that you play on your schedule. You're not sitting there like, oh man, Nebraska's playing this team. I gotta watch out for their number three wide receiver. That's not happening in the Big Ten West. And so I, I do think that it it's now gone and I, I was one of the people leading the Crusades that they don't have enough wide receivers five years ago. I think it's gone too far. I think my work was too good early on and now <laughs> we have too much of this like concern about it. Because if you can get through a year where you have Billy Kemp and Marcus Washington and Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, and you have these tight ends, and you work in some of these freshmen, and you have some walk-on guys that can provide reps and depth and everything else, it's not like the second and third guy have to go out and get 800 and 600 yards respectively. 
They need to be able to catch a ball on a critical third down. They need to be able to, to help you in key situations and key moments, but their, their end line stats don't have to be 80 yards and two touchdowns. It might just need to be 40 yards and a critical first down. So I, I think we've gone a little far with, with the concern about the wide receivers. Uh, and I, I do think there's some upside there. Like I, I mean, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda in his, you know, first career opener with Nebraska football was uh, the best wide receiver on the field at times. And so if that guy is still in there, uh, they, they do have some real upside that hasn't been uh, scratched, I think, at this point. I, I think that's a phenomenal point because you really don't need – this isn't the NFL. We need two guys with 1,000 yards receiving. You need one guy who is established, who is a star, who is like, yeah, that's our number one dude. Every single time we go onto the field, he is going to be that guy, and we're going to be looking for him. He can make a difference. And then, to your point, your exact point – then you need other guys who are just going to make themselves open and make themselves available to convert and get big plays. And But they don't need to be like, oh, he's going to go in the seventh round of this draft. They just need to be there and be accessible and be usable. The problem, though, is, is that we sit here. I don't necessarily know if Nebraska has that star-wide receiver where you're like, okay, every time Billy Kemp steps onto the field, like that's the dude, that's the draft pick. That's like He's a really good player, especially out of the slot. But... His best his best year, he had 750 yards. He had 74 receptions, which is good, which is good. But it's not superstar level. It's more of a, you know, it's 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 a lower end one. It's a higher end two. And you need that guy to be an a thousand yard dude, to be a Trey Palmer, to be a Samori Torre, because they don't have that, you know, and they don't really have the depth behind him. You can't really do it death by a thousand cuts, where it's like okay. Kemp's going to have 750, and then you know Washington's going to have 700. You know, like they just don't have that depth to necessarily do it in the aggregate in the wide receiver. So my concern is like, I don't know if they necessarily have that number one. Especially, I mean, Billy Kemp played last year. He battled a ton of injuries, didn't have a good year. Like he needs to have a bounce back year in order for this offense to be effective. Uh, in terms of the tight ends, we talked to Nate Borkature on the show, had an interview, one of our best ones when you say, Cole, I mean, just a high-character guy. I mean, knows what he's talking about. And he said, there have been times where all three, Gilbert, him, Fedoni, just out in the you field. You got him on the record. I got him I'll on the record. I go, tell me right now. We're all three of you personnel. on the field. And he goes, absolutely. All three of us were there. So you're going to, you know, the positionless, you know, offense. You're going to see a lot of tight ends. You're going to see physicality. You're going to see running. But I just, I just... When it comes to the wide receivers, I don't know if Billy Kemp's the one. I don't know if he's the – I hope he proves me wrong. I hope would he the, proves me wrong. Would the pushback there be that Trey Palmer and Samari Toure are two of the best wide receivers in program history in a single season and they want to combine seven games? That's a good point. So, so we're, I guess, but we're just talking I, singularly. Me, it, we're not sure. talking about wins like wide receiver right. more yards to wins. We're just talking about offensive yeah. production to wide receiver and, and production. I, I understand that. I guess to me, if Billy Kemp can give you a Jordan Westerkamp type season, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it is either. Um, I think that's fine because sure. I, I don't. I don't look at this year as Nebraska has to go light up the scoreboard. Co- correct. I think they're going to be sitting on the ball. Correct. I think they're going to try to play keep away in some aspects. And they're going to try to play the field position. Back. But when we're talking about like what is the concern of the of the wide receiver group with a pass game, I would just say it's not necessarily you don't have a two or a three. It's like do you have the number one? And I would and and that would be my question. What I would say too is it's I think we're talking about trust. Like who do sure. you trust in that moment? Like in that moment on third and seven, and everyone knows that you're going to pass. Like 
do you have a guy that can make a play? And last year they did. It was the whole throw it up to Trey Palmer and he's going to outrun they somebody really and make got a play. They were doing seven. They were doing that. On <laughs> well, they <laughs> were doing it earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but like you know, yeah, I think they have the talent enough to where they can throw a change up here and there, and a guy can make a play. But how many guys do they trust in a key moment to do it when the defense expects it to come? Sure. I think that's that's something that we just haven't seen a lot of. And, and I think you can apply that conversation to the running game as well. Um, you know, how much do you trust the offensive line as veteran as it is? We've seen their struggles before. I do not. If we were answering, sure. I do not trust them. So like yeah, we I think go that goes back to that. identity there again. Like who do you have that you trust in those moments? And then Nebraska just hasn't had a lot of those guys on offense. I'll throw a question to you, Cole. Yeah. We'll talk a lot about the offense. We're talking about players now. We we do have to get to a break. I'll give you two minutes here. Give me a guy on defense. Give me something on defense that that in terms of players and, and just concern or, or guys that you think is gonna step up. Well, I won't take your guy because we all know that you're the president and CEO of the Isaac Gifford fan club. Absolutely. You know what? I, I'm gonna stick with my guy Quentin Newsom. He's not one of these guys that has that single-digit dir- jersey yet, uh, which which maybe gives me a little pause, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's still not eminently talented, very much capable of doing what he did last year, building upon that uh, over at his cornerback spot. And I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how the three three five can just generate schematically some sort of a pass rush to help that pass defense. We, I'm, I, I will dig into a few numbers when we get to the defensive conversation here shortly. But the the pass rush has been a missing component of this uh, in in terms of how you defend quarterbacks throwing the ball around and and challenging these what these cornerbacks and safeties. That aspect of the game is is one I'm really interested in, and and I just I'm really excited to see how Quentin Newsom can do more than what he did last year and and be able to build upon that and honestly help out with some of the the transition in that defense because at corner you don't really do I mean a whole lot different there's a lot more moving parts in in the other uh areas of that so that that part of it really does stick out to me and and I I, real quick before we get to our break give me a name on defense you expect to emerge Evan and then Shafe as well you know, maybe it's it's recency bias, but what we've been hearing about Nash Hutmacher has really stood out the way that he's, I mean, he looks yeah. apart now. He's only got the two career starts. He's been on the field a lot, but this seems like his moment. He's oh, He was a, I mean, he had a high pedigree as a recruit, mm. um, and it's at a position of need. So he's someone I think is going to emerge big time. Yeah, I, I would have said Nash if Evan didn't. Um, I think that, you know, rather than looking for a guy we haven't seen emerge, what about someone that takes their game to another level? And I think there's – I'll give you two of them. I think both Ty Robinson and Nick Henrich are better players than what we've seen in their Nebraska career so far. I think a new fresh set of eyes, new coaching staff, a new defensive system uh, challenged these guys. And I think we've obviously seen Nick Henrich has had a good camp because he's got a single-digit number now. And this is how we, we weigh <laughs> the good camps versus the not-so-good camps, I guess. But I also just look at Ty Robinson as someone that was a highly coveted, highly regarded defensive lineman – that I think there's another level to his game. I think they can get more from him. I think he could be more disruptive. And I think Terrence Knighton is going to to be an important part of this whole conversation when we look back on this season uh, with guys like Nash Hutmacher and Blaze Gunnarsson and and of uh, Ty Robinson as well. Yeah, uh, and Cam Lenhart. Just gonna yeah, throw it you, out there. You you are Cam a big Lenhart. Cam Lenhart guy too. Cam Lenhart. 
All right, we, we've got uh, another break coming here. We are going to dig more into both the offense and the defense in our next couple segments, not just the schemes, not just what we expect to see from the guys returning, uh, but, but how they're going to attack teams in the Big Ten West uh, and on the rest of their schedule as well. That's all coming up with Evan Bland and Mike Schaefer. Uh, Matt and I running the season preview episode here of the Husker Hour. More right after this. Talking with current and former Huskers and those that cover the Big Red. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Let's talk a little bit black shirts. Uh, we haven't actually had the reveal of the black shirts. God knows that question will be coming I'm, from our media brethren I'm, soon I'm, enough. I'm sick. And t- after the whole Mickey Joseph thing last <laughs> year where every single week someone had to ask about the black shirts and whether and I'm, I'm tired of I'm tired of we it. We don't need to dig into that right now. The youth over here I'm thinking t- it's some no! sort of recent thing. Right. That t- Evan and I haven't sat in press conferences for the last decade plus where I'm someone's just... like, well, so how are you going to hand out the black shirts? I, I just, it's cool. It's a great tradition. It's a great tradition. It just get like some things here in Nebraska media, maybe a little too much attention and, and, and garnering over it's, it. But. Tell you what, we've had Tony White for three media availabilities. He's been asked, I believe, one, one question. One time. He was not asked uh, here late this week on Friday either about it. So Yeah, Josh Martin has talked more about the black shirts, uh, the homemade one. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, uh, than what we've heard from the defensive staff. Well, black shirts notwithstanding, they are in the practice jerseys getting ready for uh, the opener against Minnesota here uh, on August 31st. And defensively, new scheme, 3-3-5, you got new position coaches, and if we like to keep with that single-digit philosophy, the, the defense outnumbers the offense 5-3 to three, if you count Ethan Piper uh, in that math. Right now, I'm feeling much more comfortable with – having success seeing success from this defense than I expect from this offense uh you guys can agree or disagree when we get to you but uh Schaefer, we'll start with you on defense there are appear to me more strengths there's there's a lot of experience in the secondary and that linebacker and a little bit more uh maybe than we give credit for a defensive line though I'm still pretty skeptical if you are Tony White what position group are you leaning on what are you mm-hmm. expecting the most production from in the the three the second three or the five i i think it's got to be your linebackers with the fact that you have three guys already in single digit numbers with john bullock joining nick henrich and and luke reimer i think they're excited about some upside with guys like jamari butler and mj sherman um i think there's probably some younger guys beyond that and eric fields and some others that could threaten for some early playing time but that second level is also sort of the ones that they get to shine in this in this defense i mean if if the people up front are doing their jobs and the people behind are doing their jobs then some of that chaos and confusion comes from that second level of the defense and i don't think it's out of the the realm of possibility for luke reimer to have a jojo doman type season and from 2021 i mean i i think he's that sort of athlete that can be all over the field we've seen him do it in different games before where he's had a ton of tackles i know that northwestern game from 2020 comes to mind for a lot of people uh, but I, I think that, you know, they, they have more production in there. The big thing, and I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me, but for guys that have played as much as Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer have, they don't have a lot of TFLs next to their name. They don't have a lot of chaos stats. They got a lot of tackles, but, you know, not every tackle is equal. Not every tackle matters the same. And so I think for me, if if Nebraska's defense is going to play well, that second level has to be part of the disruption. 
but they also are really dependent on what's behind them and what's in front of them. It all, you know, it all has to work together. Yeah. It's, we talk so much about, oh, if they just had a Randy Gregory, if they just had this, if they just had that. It's wasted if you don't have the guys on the back end that can cover long enough and if you don't have the guys in front of you that can provide, you know, that takes up two blocks in some situations. Evan, your, your level of trust with the defense and, and who do you think they're going to lean on this season? Yeah, I mean, I still feel like it's going to be a strength of the team relative to what the offense has. One thing that's interesting to me is their ability to sort of blend players. I mean, we always talked in terms of nickel uh, last year when you're talking about linebacker safety, and so now you have, you've got these rovers that allow a guy like Isaac Gifford, who's good in coverage and who's also physical enough to to come in and disrupt the run. Like, that's going to allow that guy to shine. We've heard about guys like uh, Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich, like, this is this frees them up to make plays and maybe get into some spaces where they weren't schematically or, or assignment-wise allowed to get to in the past. So I think that's something, too. And then kind of the the, the front seven version of the, the rover, that jackbacker, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. I think guys like MJ Sherman and Chief Borders, who were, who were both you know role players at SEC programs prior, uh, it feels like this is a spot where they can shine. And... I do think the scheme also allows you, if you're Nebraska, to play a little bit more to your strengths, right? If you feel like defensive line is your strength and you have some depth there, you can play more guys along the line. If you feel like it's linebacker, and I agree with Shafe, I think that's the case this year, play a few more guys off the line a bit, allow them to, to wreck some havoc. So I think that versatility and some of these high upside guys that they brought in makes it, it makes me curious and, and intrigued to see just what the potential could be for this unit this year. Over to you, Cole. What do you think? Well, I, first off, definitely trust the defense uh, a lot more. And, and I look, the defensive line, I've been – offensive and defensive lines obviously have to be pretty sound in the Big Ten to win games, and they've not been, and that's been a problem. And I'm still sounding the alarm somewhat on both of those position groups before this season starts. But at the defensive line, I, I think Ty Robinson and Nash Hutmacher, Hutmaker, however it is, uh, number zero – those guys together can do enough and and have Blaze Gunnerson come along, or maybe it is Cam Lenhart or P. Will who who end up stepping up uh, and playing quite a bit this in their freshman seasons. But I, I'm I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable because of the fact that they've got a strong linebacking core and hopefully they can stay healthy for, for their sake because of the strong secondary as well. And so the defensive line, while I don't think it'll be a strength, I think they're they they've got more there than maybe I was giving them credit for uh, most of the offseason and maybe still a little bit today. But, uh, but from, from that aspect of it, I, I feel a little bit better. Um, and in terms of as we kind of look at how this defense is going to attack teams, pass rush. You, you talk about there not being another Randy Gregory around that corner, Shafe, and I wholly, wholly agree with you. In, in 2013, he had 10 and a half sacks. In 2014, he had seven sacks. Does this team need to have a... 10 sack or even a seven sack guy for them to have an effective pass rush just based on what we know of the three, three, five and how they can kind of bring pressure from all areas. What do you think of that? I, I don't think they have to have an individual superstar performance. Um, I don't think they have to have a guy that has double digit sacks. I think what they have to have is the threat of the pressure. Yeah. It has to, in certain situations, you know, second and long, third and long, you gotta, if you're not getting home, you have to at least make those throws get out early those throws get out early, they get into the passing windows, you pick it off, you deflect it, whatever. You've got to be able to to not allow the quarterback to sit back there so comfortably. I mean, that was 
one of the most frustrating aspects of the last couple of years with the defense is that you just felt like the quarterback could just sort of sit and pick something and maybe they didn't get the first down, but they still get eight yards and it changes a little bit of the field position narrative. Like it all, it all sort of works together, but I don't, I don't think there has to be this individual great performance, but the threat needs to be there that a quarterback is uncomfortable, that a quarterback looks at the line of scrimmage. He's not able to diagnose where that pressure is coming from. So he has to quickly get the ball out um, because the longer they can just sit back there, the harder it is to cover. You can have an effective pass rush without having sacks. I mean, you you yeah. can just pressure the quarterback and make him have to chuck stuff up and just look, you know, check down and let your linebackers, which you guys think is the strength, go and tackle those guys. And you know, if they're chucking stuff up, I think the strength of this defense is the secondary with the returning starters you have with Newsom, with with Hartzog, with Gifford. You're eventually going to get Buford back, along with the fact that there are some other. You know, secondary guys that we saw play in the spring game that Evan Cooper and Tony White definitely have some trust in that we didn't really see last year. Corey Collier, another Florida transfer. We saw Omar Brown, who kind of was in the background, you know, last year. He was getting some rub during the spring game. I mean, there's a lot of belief in that secondary. And if you can just have a pass rush that can just make their jobs easier, it doesn't necessarily have to end in a, in a strip sack fumble or, or the quarterback on the ground every single time. But just like like you said, Chafe, don't. Don't allow the quarterback to have an easy life in the pocket. And they really haven't even been able to do that. So it, before we get to the we need an 11-sack 11, 11 guy, you need just players in there who's going to make things uncomfortable and just allow the rest of your defense be able to thrive in a better situation than before. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And and the way that they attack, the way that they attack Minnesota, I think might give us a little bit of insight into how they view what they've got what they can build into becoming and and how how they can really find a way to succeed not just kind of survive uh they, they they maybe can push the issue as they start to get a little bit more confidence going uh as the season progresses on all right that's a uh, rundown a little bit of the defense when we come back we're going to dig into more of the offense we'll do that right after this with evan bland and mike schaefer here on the kli and husker hour your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Let's look a little closer at the offense, shall we? We've got Jeff Sims. You know he's going to be the quarterback. Pretty confident that Billy Kemp is going to get a lot of targets. I think we've got a pretty good idea of who the offensive line is. Uh, let's start with a position we've not talked about yet, and that's running back. Uh, Evan, we'll start with you. Who do you expect to get the first carry? And do you think it's going to be a three-headed monster, a true running back by committee, or do you get the sense that either the coaches maybe like a guy or want a guy to emerge and and kind of be the bell cow for the season? First carry, I, I think you go with the senior, Anthony Grant, yeah. although I wouldn't be surprised if they went Gabe Irvin either. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, to me, the – the biggest uh, signal that this staff liked this room was that with all the offseason work they did, all the transfer portal additions, they didn't make any in the running back room. And the coaches said, like, we're good. We we, we like the depth here. And that's been a, a steady message through the spring into the fall. I mean, Matt Rule, I think, said last week he felt like Nebraska could play winning football with the fifth string running back. Um, I'm not even sure who that would be beyond kind of your top four. Emmett Johnson? I think he'd be four. So then Ives? Maybe Ives. Yeah. yeah, it'd probably be Ives at this point. But uh yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those deals where and, and Marcus Satterfield kind of uh made light of the fact that if you had Bo Jackson, obviously you go with Bo Jackson and you roll. Uh in the absence of that, 
going with more of the committee approach isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. I think we saw last year with as hot of a start as Anthony Grant had, he wore down physically in the second half. And and it would have been nice if Nebraska had some other uh, capable backs waiting in the wings. And, and I think you could argue they did, and they just didn't see the field for whatever reason. But I, I do think that that depth at that position will pay off once you get into October and November, whether that's through fatigue, whether that's through injury, what have you. Um, and it just feels like while maybe a feature back has not emerged to this point, like I, you could, I think, easily make a case to say, yeah, this is the year Gabe Irvin goes off. This is sure. the year Anthony Grant puts it all together in his sixth season. This is the year Ramir Johnson gets back and, and channels his inner 2021. Um, Emmett Johnson, I think, is a, is a high upside prospect longer term. So like, it's almost like a good poker hand where you have so many outs. It feels like somebody is going to hit, and I think that is one of the deeper positions on the team, not just the offense. Evan's talking about a poker hand, and I sometimes wonder if they have a poker face going with the way they talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I, I have not understood it, and and Rule has been consistent with this since he's gotten here, and obviously he has a lot more data to look at than I do. But I look at the 2021 season and the 2022 season. I look at Gabe Irvin having good springs under the last three years, and it you know hadn't amounted to much in the fall. And I did have a lot of questions about the running back room still, and. I I tend to think it's going to ultimately end up being Anthony Grant who gets the lion's share of the work. I think he has sort of earned his way back into the staff's good graces after starting off as uh, suspended for the first spring practice, the first practice of the Matt Rule era. Mm-hmm. He was not able to attend because of his own uh, actions. So I think Anthony Grant has, has kind of earned the, the trust of the staff, but I don't know that I'm going to feel comfortable about these running backs for a while. And it might just be I have to see it. I have to see how they want to use them. I have to see how they want to rotate them. There's a part of me that still doesn't understand how Ramir Johnson can look like the best player on Nebraska's offense against a college football playoff team in Michigan last mm-hmm. year, not last year, excuse me, in 2021, and then never really get to see the field in 2022. I don't, I don't really understand what happens in that regard. But I, I do think there's upside for some of these guys. I just don't. I don't know how much of it I trust because I don't know how much, what I trust in front of them, you know, as well with that offensive line. It all has to work in conjunction. And sometimes the offensive line ends up looking bad because the running backs are missing the holes or not showing the patience that's needed or they want to bounce to the outside right away. So there's, there's a lot for me in the running game that I just I feel like I won't have confidence in until I see it and I see it repeated for several weeks. And I, I just – I don't know. I'm, I've just been floored by how confident they've come across talking about the running game because I, you know, just putting my own eyes on it, I don't know where that confidence stems from uh, unless they're really rolling in, in practice. Well, the thing is, is that they've been here. Like, like yeah. the, these three guys aren't new. Like, you, you've seen all three guys, you know, they all three of them play. Too. Yeah. And it's so, like, you haven't seen the superstardom. You haven't seen, like, the all Big Ten runners that, I mean, it just seems like they're making them out to be that they got these three guys that all can have. Like, they've been here. They've been here. And, like, if one of them really was this world beater that sometimes these coaches like to make them out to be in these press conferences, we wouldn't have this conversation of which one's going to start. We would know for sure that, oh, it's this guy's ball or it's this guy's job or whatever. I will say this, though. I, Marcus Satterfield said something very important to me that I think is important at any coach, any sport. He says, this isn't an offense where, hey, this is how we're going to do it, and then like you have to fit into that. We are going to take our players, we're going to take our strengths, and we're going to build the offense around that. So I'm convinced. I don't know who's going to have the first carry. I don't think it matters. I think it's going to be whatever guy 
stands out, they're just going to make the offense around them. If Ramir Johnson goes out against Minnesota and looks incredible, I believe that they're going to give him more and more opportunities and call more and more plays that suit his strengths and make the offense more around him. And it could happen for Anthony Grant or Gabe Irvin as well. I think that'll be more more of the, the lane they take. And if none of them do it, then they'll do it by committee. I think so too, though. I know you don't trust the O-line, and I understand but I do think, though, you can make an argument that they are going to be better this year than they were than they were last year, just because they have more experience. They have the same coach. I think it's a good coach. They have consistent coaching. So, do I think that this team is going to be comparable to Michigan in, in terms of the offensive line? Absolutely not. But do I think it's going to be way better than it was last year? Sure. Now, what is way better than last year? Like that could just be okay. Like that could just be good. I mean, when you're the worst offensive line in the country, yeah. by some metrics, it's there's only room for improvement. Exactly. So I'm more comfortable with them this year than last year. But I mean, what is that in the grand scheme of things? Right, and 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 that includes needing to get significant improvement from guys who were on said worst line in the country. Uh, Bryce Benhart, Turner Corcoran, Ethan Piper, Nuri Nuwili. Like these guys have been here for long enough to have had a track record and to to have an expectation of what they're going to give you on the field. And I'm, this is the most concerned position that I have personally is, is just knowing what they have there. I, you can coach them up as much as you want, but still ultimately you may hit your ceiling in terms of your capability at this level. And, and I, I don't know if you feel differently, Evan, but I, I, that's, that's definitely a part of it. That's, that's giving me pause with this offense overall. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's the same, group more or less sub in Ben Scott who's who's a pretty good center yeah. I think he's going to be an upgrade at that spot but yeah it's it's to me when you look on anywhere on the offense like that's the the group where you're going to learn what the impact of coaching and game planning is right like that's the group where you saw what they were last year and now with the new scheme around them a little bit of stability with their position coach what kind of improvement do they make I think that's one thing that'll be Really fascinating to see how that plays out. The other thing that I'm going to be watching too, when you talk about the offense and, and kind of how the running backs and the and the O line kind of fit together, is to me the thing that will show or reveal how confident they are in those guys is how much Jeff Sims runs the ball. I think yeah. we saw that a lot with Adrian Martinez. We, we saw that even with Casey Thompson sometimes last year, where if it's third and short. Nebraska oftentimes didn't have the confidence to to hand it off to the running back and let them make a play and let the O line get a push. They would they would drop back the quarterback and they would scramble and he would get the the first down or he wouldn't. And as we all know, that leads to uh, exposure to turnovers. That leads to exposure to injuries. And so again, I, that's something I'll be watching early on this season: is how much does Jeff Sims have to freelance and run it on his own? Or is Nebraska so confident in their running back and, and their run game, as we've heard in camp, that that shows up in those critical down and distances? Yeah. All right, that's uh, a good rundown of the offense. When we come back, we're going to wrap this uh, season preview episode up with a look at the big picture, where Nebraska fits uh, in the Big Ten West pecking order, and, and maybe how they finish overall. Uh, right back after this, uh, wrapping things up here on the KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. Wrapping up our season preview episode. Big thanks to Mike Schaefer, Husker 24-7, Evan Bland uh, from the Omaha World Herald who are joining us in studio uh, for this episode. Let's uh, wrap this thing up with 
Just our thoughts on, on where Nebraska kind of fits in the pecking order of the Big Ten West. Last year of divisions, uh, Matt, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you first. Where do you see Nebraska finishing up relative to the rest of their division brethren? I think they'll go. I think they'll go fifth. I think they'll finish behind Minnesota. I think it'll be. I don't think Minnesota is going to be very good this year, but I think it'll be pretty close. I think both those teams are going to be fighting for bowl spots. I think that at the end of the day, that the last couple games of the season will come down to bowl eligibility for Nebraska and Minnesota. I will say this. So fifth for me. I'm bullish on Illinois. I'm going to put it out there right now. I really, really like Illinois. I think Iowa wins the conference. I think Illinois comes in second. The division. All right. Yeah. The division. Yeah. Division. Chafe. I was imagining a world where Iowa wins the conference, <laughs> scoring 13 points a game, uh, and it's quite the world. And having to fire their offensive coordinator. I'm going to say Nebraska ties for third uh, in the Big Ten West with, let's say, Wisconsin and Purdue in that tie for third. And then uh, I'll throw this couple bonus predictions for you. Iowa wins the Big Ten West. Nebraska beats them on Black Friday for the second year in a row, so they limp into Indy with even less momentum. And who are they going to face in Indy? It's not Michigan. It's not Ohio State. It's Drew Aller oh, and Penn State. Absolutely. That wow. is I love your Big that. Ten title. Game. I love that. Mm. I love Penn State this year. I think Penn State's going to be Suddenly incredible. Suddenly less interested in Penn State. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> Evan? I'm saying fourth for Nebraska. I think Iowa's the class. I think Wisconsin can be better than a typical first uh, you know, year with a first-year coach. Um I, I'm not totally sold on Minnesota, honestly. I think Nebraska can finish higher than them. They're starting over uh, at some really key spots. Y- you wonder if kind of the P.J. Fleck era has sort of reached its its peak a little bit there. And then the only thing I would add, too, is enjoy this last year of the Big Ten West, right? I mean, we're going to a an 18 team at the moment, conference next year with with, with who knows what, pods and, and tiebreakers and, and, and whatever else. And so, like, one more year – of a familiar neighborhood with your seven teams, you know Nebraska gets to face those familiar those familiar foes, and the goal is not twelve team college football playoff; it's to win the West and have a crack at whomever on that eastern side of things. So I, I say enjoy kind of the last year of this because I think the path gets a lot more difficult when you start talking about having to keep pace with those East powers over the course of a full season moving forward, starting next year. Quickly, get us out of here. Divisions, how quaint. Uh, I like Nebraska fourth. In the division, uh, I think they'll be, definitely be behind Wisconsin and Iowa and Illinois. Uh, and I like Illinois as well, which is oddly strange considering I we're on Illinois. the same page. I actually like Penn State a lot too, so that's fun. All right, hey, uh, really, really good stuff from both Evan Bland and Mike Schaefer. You can find them everywhere. Uh, for Matt McMaster, for Kenny Larrabee, I'm Cole Stukenholtz. Uh, we'll be back next week with our final show before the season starts with our game-by-game predictions. Be sure to tune in then. Until then, go Big Red. Go Big Red.